Hey everybody, welcome back to Campfire Chronicles. It's Story Sunday here, so let's sit down and grab your favorite drink and we'll talk about things. And today, I actually meant for this show to be on uh, this particular figure's birthday, which was February 14th, and that's Frederick Douglass. Um, you know, I always want to honor people who really inspired me when I was in undergrad, and even before then. Um, you know, I understand why this particular figure in American history was very glossed over, because he gave such a true account of what happened to him as a slave that I'm sure they just don't want, you know, teenagers who I guess are impressionable to read something like that. But I really wish that schools would have taught him more in depth because his autobiography is horrific, but it's important and it teaches so much about how things started out and why they affect us still today. Um, you know, I've, been watching lots and lots of movies with my kids recently because uh, we didn't have power for four days so I had a bunch of movies downloaded to my phone and we would sit in bed and try and stay warm um, as some of you know from last um, Thursday's podcast I was talking a little bit about the storms and our house was maybe 40 degrees 50 degrees at uh, the coldest um, so we were all kind of cuddling up it felt like we were camping out in our home which isn't really that exciting but um, you know, we were watching Zootopia and that's one of my son's favorite movies. I mean, he cracks up every time that he sees, um, Officer Hops and, you know, of course, Nick Wilde, that's his favorite, but Zootopia is like the perfect example of systemic racism. And I've always admired that story from Disney because, you know, sometimes Disney does miss the mark. I mean, they have a history that is very littered in um, racist imagery, but they've been trying, which is reassuring. Um, and Zootopia explains systemic racism in terms that even a five-year-old could understand, which I think is important because many people feel that racism or systemic racism, I should say, isn't a thing. Um, they don't believe in it because they can't see it. It's not tangible. They can't hold it in their hands. And after my undergrad years, when I was reading Frederick Douglass, you know, systemic racism, that particular phrase wasn't heavily used when I was in undergrad um, back in, you know, 2012. But reading his work, his autobiography and hearing about the struggles of him growing up and, you know, escaping slavery. I mean, he was a one in a million chance for that to happen. Um, but just growing up and, and becoming the man who he was and talking about his experiences as a slave, I have a hard time not understanding how something like that can't carry through to this present time that we live in. Um, I actually was looking through TikTok the other day 
Um, I tend to go on there just to, you know, of course, watch funny videos because I, I am all here for the laughs, of course. But there are some great creators on there that, um, you know, they talk about black history that, you know, the important parts of black history and they teach from their TikToks, which it's such an amazing tool. I mean, yes, there's toxic people on there, but the people who are informing and teaching and, and just going through all these different facts about Black History Month. Like, it's just amazing. And there's so much information out there. And they give you sources and help you look up things that you didn't know about, you know, and I didn't know several factors, you know, and and Frederick Douglass does kind of touch on some of these. But one of the things that I learned from, a, you know, and the TikTokers account is going to, of course, escape my memory here. But she was discussing how, um, the, the stereotype of black fathers leaving their family got started. And I never even thought of this. I, I honestly never thought about why that stereotype is even a thing. And she was telling, you know, telling us that back when slavery was a thing, um, the enslavers would take their slaves and force the men to breed. Unfortunately, that's the, the term that they use. They would use them as cattle and just have all these men impregnate their slaves so that they could have more slaves. And because of that, um, you know, the men would be separated from the women that they would be forced to impregnate and then separated from the children that they helped create. And that happened so often and for so many years that it was almost like a genetic trait at that point that they had to become detached from their children and from their family. And that is why generation after generation, it got passed down to create this stereotype that black fathers leave their families. And it just blew my mind because that right there is a perfect example of how systemic racism can exist when situations that started within slavery travel through the years to create these issues that were caused by white people. I always try to stay away from politics, but it's important to talk about these things because, you know, learning that off of a TikTok account, I would have never learned that in high school, even in college. I would have had to take an elective class to learn something like that. And it just kind of changed my perspective about everything. I mean, even myself being of mixed descent, you know, I still have some types of privileges that others don't. And I have to acknowledge those in order to be a better person. Um, and when I'm reading Frederick Douglass's work, it really, really rings true through today's times that what he went through is should be passed down in oral history because reading what kind of atrocities that white people did to slaves um, back then, it's just, it's horrible, but it's important to remember because if you don't remember, you're going to be one of those people saying white privilege doesn't exist and systemic racism isn't real. It's real, and we need to talk about it. 
a little bit about Frederick Douglass. Um, he was born in Talbot County, Maryland, and he wasn't really sure of what his actual birth date was. It was around 1817, 1818, um, and he was sent to Baltimore as a young boy where luckily he learned to read and write um, with the assistance of the enslaver's wife. Once 1838 rolled around, he escaped slavery and went to New York City and he married Anna Murray, who was also a free uh, person of color who he had met in Baltimore. And that's when he changed his name to Frederick Douglass. That's just a little bit of background on him. I'd like to read a f just a few, maybe a chapter, because these chapters are pretty in-depth. And the best part about this book that I'm going to read an excerpt for you about um, is free. It's free on Google. It's free on iBooks. Please, if you have the opportunity, read it. And even check out, you know, audiobooks if you're, um, you know, if you if you can't see or if you have a hard time, you know, sitting down if you don't have a lot of time and you can't sit down and read, check out audiobooks because honestly, his story is important to American history. And the more we read these stories, the more that we'll remember the important parts of history and we can do better. Um, so I'm going to read you a little bit from his autobiography here and then we can talk about it once uh, the podcast goes live. And of course, you know, you can always email me questions or Facebook us questions if you want to know more or if you need links or resources. So without further ado, I'm going to give you a short clip from Frederick Douglass's autobiography. Chapter one. I was born in Tuckahoe near Hillsboro and about 12 miles from Easton in Talbot County, Maryland. I have no accurate knowledge of my age, never having seen any authentic record containing it. By far the larger part of the slaves know as little as of their ages as horses know of theirs, and it is the wish of most masters within my knowledge to keep my, their slaves thus ignorant. I do not remember to have ever met a slave who could tell of his birthday. They seldom come nearer to it than planting time, harvest time, cherry time, spring time, or fall time. A want of information concerning my own was a source of unhappiness to me even during childhood. The white children could tell their ages. I could not tell why I ought to be deprived of the same privilege. I was not allowed to make any inquiries of my master concerning it. He deemed all such inquiries on the part of a slave improper and impertinent and evidence of a restless spirit. The nearest estimate I can give makes me now between 27 and 28 years of age. I come to this from hearing my master say, Sometime during 1835, I was about 17 years old. My mother was named Harriet Bailey. She was the daughter of Isaac and Betsy Bailey, both colored and quite dark. My mother was of a darker complexion than either my grandmother or grandfather. My father was a white man. He was admitted to be such by all I ever heard speak of my parentage. The opinion was also whispered that my master was my father, but of the correctness of this opinion I know nothing. The means of knowing was withheld from me. My mother and I were separated when I was but an infant, before I knew her was my mother. It is a common custom in the part of Maryland from which I ran away to part children from their mothers at a very early age. Frequently, before the child has reached its twelfth month, its mother is taken from it and hired out on some farm a considerable distance off. 
and the child is placed under the care of an old woman too old for field labor. For what this separation has done, I don't know, unless it be to hinder the development of the child's affection towards its mother, and to blunt and destroy the natural affection of the mother for the child. This is the inevitable result. I never saw my mother, to know her as such, more than four or five times in my life, and each of these times was very short in duration and at night. She was hired by a Mr. Stewart, who lived about 12 miles from my house. She made her journeys to see me in the night, traveling the whole distance on foot after the performance of her day's work. She was a field hand, and a whipping is the penalty of not being in the field at sunrise, unless a slave has special permission from his or her master to the contrary. A permission which they seldom get, and one that gives to him that gives it the proud name of being a kind master. I do not recollect of ever seeing my mother by the light of day. She was with me in the night. She would lie down with me and get me to sleep, but long before I waked, she was gone. Very little communication ever took place between us. Death soon ended what little we could have while she lived, and with it her hardships and suffering. She died when I was about seven years old on one of my master's farms near Lee's Mill. I was not allowed to be present during her illness at her death or burial. She was gone long before I knew anything about it. Never having enjoyed to any considerable extent her soothing presence, her tender and watchful care, I received the tidings of her death with much the same emotions I should have probably felt at the death of a stranger. Called thus suddenly away, she left me without the slightest intimation of who my father was. The whisper that my master was my father may or may not be true, and true or false, it is of but little consequence to my purpose whilst the fact remains, in all its glaring odiousness, that slaveholders have ordained and by law established that the children of slave women shall in all cases follow the condition of their mothers. And this is done too obviously to administer to their own lusts and make gratification of their wicked desires profitable as well as pleasurable. For by this cunning arrangement, the slaveholder, in cases not a few, sustains to his slaves the double relation of master and father. I know of such cases, and it is worthy of remark that such slaves invariably suffer greater hardships and have more to contend with than others. They are, in the first place, a constant offense to their mistress. She is ever disposed to find fault with them. They can seldom do anything to please her. She is never better pleased than when she sees them under the lash, especially when she suspects her husband of showing to his mulatto children favors which he withholds from his black slaves. The master is frequently compelled to sell this class of his slaves out of deference to the feelings of his white wife. And cruel as the deed may strike anyone to be, for a man to sell his own children to human fleshmongers, it is often the dictate of humanity for him to do so. For, unless he does this, he must not only whip them himself, but must stand by and see one white son tie up his brother, but of but few shades darker complexion than himself, and ply the gory lash to his naked back. And if he lisp one word of disapproval, it is set down to his parental partiality and only makes a bad matter worse, both for himself and the slave whom he would protect and defend. Every year brings with it multitudes of this class of slaves. It was doubtless in consequence of a knowledge of this fact that one great statesman of the South predicted the downfall of slavery by the inevitable laws of population. Whether this prophecy is ever fulfilled or not, it is nevertheless plain that a very different looking class of people are springing up at the South and are now held in slavery from those originally brought to this country from Africa. And if their increase do no other good, 
It will do away the force of the argument that God cursed Ham and therefore American slavery is right. If the lineal descendants of Ham are alone to be scripturally enslaved, it is certain that slavery at the South must soon become unscriptural, for thousands are ushered into the world annually who, like myself, owe their existence to white fathers, and those fathers most frequently their own masters. All right, so that's a snippet of the autobiography of Frederick Douglass. You know, I'd love to read more, and there's so much good information in there to learn what happened to him, but also to just learn, just take a glimpse into the times that uh, slavery ran this country and slavery built this country. I think we tend to forget that this story here was all over the South in the United States, all over the country in the United States. We forget that the United States of America was built off the backs of natives and of slaves. When we forget those things, it's not acknowledging their history. It's important to acknowledge people's history because that's who they are. And knowing that, you know, it's the same thing that people say, you know, we talk about the American Revolution and how that still affects us today and how we're a free country. So if that's the case, if we can say that, you know, the founding fathers had that much of an impact on our life today as we know it, why can't that be the same for slavery or Native American genocide? That still affects us today. And this particular autobiography is a great read just to take a small glimpse of the dark side of American history. Let me know what you think. I mean, read a couple passages. If you have questions, if you want to learn more, go on our Facebook page and we'll talk about it. Um, and of course, if you're listening live on Twitch, comment below and just let us know what you think, what questions you have. And I'll be more than happy to research what I can find and ask fellow TikTok creators to see what they can find and what they can tell me because I want to learn and I want to have this conversation now before it gets worse. So with that being said, I want to read a poem for you that was written really when I was struggling with um, a lot of hurt. And, you know, I I'm more sensitive than I like to let on and things affect me. Um, you know, I think about when George Floyd was murdered and all these people are, were, you know, on social media just talking horrible about him after his death and you know, I didn't know him personally, of course. Um but there's one thing that I will never forget about him watching this happen on live TV and hearing him call for his mother. And as a mom, we all heard that. We all heard him calling for his mother. And I wrote this poem with that thought in mind because I think about my son, my all my kids, honestly. You know, they're nonverbal and they're autistic. And all I can do is picture them in the same situation. And I know that because they are mixed, that they won't be targeted. And it's horrible to say it like that, but 
that's recognizing my privilege being mixed. And hearing George Floyd call for his mother in his last moments, I don't know any mother out there who couldn't be just crushed to hear that. Begging somebody to get off their neck and calling for their mother to save them. So I wrote this poem with that thought in mind because I was feeling so weighed down by the events of 2020. And I actually wrote this poem in 2021, but it was more so just a reflection on everything that had happened that past year. And, you know, looking back on on all the people and friends that I thought were friends that no longer talk to me because I voiced how frustrated and how upset I was with George Floyd being murdered on national television and nobody doing anything about it and seeing the Native Americans being sprayed and tear gassed for protesting pipelines that were going to ruin their land. We have to do better as a country. And I just wanted to voice a little piece of that from me with this particular poem. This particular poem does not have a name. I think it's kind of appropriate for it not to have a name. So without further ado, I give you the unnamed poem. When history books talk about war, they typically speak in numbers, breaking down bloodshed and chemical infections into something a little easier to put together, like two and two. When the numbers add up, we change our words to things like tragedy or prayers for the victims or now's not the time to talk. Watching the news from the couch is the new funeral home. Leaders talk in numbers without any real forward progress. The definition of insanity. And that was the unnamed poem. So today was a pretty deep episode. I know there's a lot to unpack. If you have questions, if you want to hear something, if you have concerns, email us at campfirechronicles at icloud.com or message us on Facebook. Check us out on Facebook. We're actually going to be having some submissions that if you have stories that you want to hear or stories that you want read, or even if you write your own stories, go ahead and submit them on our Facebook page or submit them to the email. On behalf of Cure Habitat, my name is Kelsey Garmandia, and thanks for stopping by the campfire. See you Thursday.